0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the LFC Red Poet Podcast. Tonight I'm joined as new, usual by my two partners in crime, Tom Keegan and Pete Warburton. And tonight's special guest is former Liverpool player John Newby, who currently works behind the scenes at the Academy. So welcome, John. So over to Tom to start off the proceedings.
1: Hiya, John. Hiya, Tom. Joe, how did you get discovered? when you were you by liverpool or was there other clubs involved as well
2: no i was i was 9 years old uh we recently moved from Warrington to formby um and my dad obviously was football mad at the time and he the, the first thing he wanted to sort out was was finding me a, a new grassroots team you know from moving out so uh, we went and signed for a team called Formby Junior Sports Club, and it, it just so happened that Hugh McCall, who, who recently just started at, at Liverpool's Academy or what it was called, Den Center of Excellence, his lad Barry played in the same team, and and each saw me play, and he invited me invited me into Liverpool a, a couple of weeks later.
1: Well, what was the setup like when you got there? I know my my eldest lad is. A little bit older than you he, he went through the same sort of system but he went to goodison you know to everton and played at Everton under yeah. um under on the, on, on the Barry under on, on Terry Darakas and Mike Lyons yeah and um Graeme Schmidt but what was it like in Liverpool? It was it was very basic you know in those days
2: there was no big you know flash academy buildings it was I used to train twice a week uh one night was at Little High School and the other night was at the Vernon Sangster. So we just had a little sports hall, probably about 20 of us in there. And, um, you know, we had no kit. We wore our own stuff, our own, you know, there was no academy kit, whatever it was then. So yeah, it, it, it was quite basic, but it was all we knew, Tom, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't anything where we went in and of it was all we knew. Um, you know, we, we were all used to playing football in the streets with our mates and or going down the field or whatever. So, the Vernon, sankston and High School was luxury for us.
1: Yeah, I I remember watching the games. You know, when we used to go around, I used to manage kids' football teams, and we go around, and that's where you you know, like we we'd see the kids, and you'd see the good ones. You go, and then they get taken up by the clubs. Could you could you still play for the for, for your local grassroots side, or once, yeah. once you or was that Liverpool? Was you tied up to Liverpool? No, you
2: you you could do what you wanted. Essentially, you. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, even in them days, we didn't play many games for Liverpool until we were about 13, 14. Um, so all your school, all, all, your, all your games were either playing for your school or or playing for your, your grassroots team. And then obviously you'd play for your district and, and stuff like that as you got older. But yeah, you could it it was a real mix in them days. You know, you, you had street football, you had your grassroots football, you had your school football. It wasn't like it is now, where it's a bit more, it's a bit more formal.
0: Yeah. Well Les. So, so John, so you carried on doing that, did you know, until you were 13, 14 and such? Is that when you started playing like 11 the side games and representing like Liverpool sort of because they have all sorts of age groups now from under nines, don't they? At the Academy.
2: Yeah, even even younger than that, less to be honest now. You know, they have what's called the pre-academy as well. So kids are going in there from the age of five and six. Um then I mean I it, if you were a good player back then, you 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 kind of played a few years. I remember being a nine-year-old playing for the under 12s at times, and that was what all the all the all the good players did. But yeah, until I was 13, 14, we didn't really play many games for Liverpool. we played probably two or three a year. I mean, we trained, you know, twice a week, like I say, but we didn't play loads of games, and then that changed because then you started playing against the likes of St. Helens Schoolboys or Sefton Schoolboys or whoever it was. You'd play against the schoolboy districts a lot from the age of 13, 14. Who was your coach coaches at that, that point then? Was it the likes of Dave Shannon? Yeah, so we only had three. So all the way through my youth football, from when I joined at nine so when I kind of moved over to, to the first team squad, if you like, when I was 18. My coaches were Steve Iway, Hugh McCauley, Dave Shannon, just the three of them.
0: Uh, which... Were, were, were they all different? Which one of them do you think, or did they all play a significant part in your development? No,
2: the all, all played they all played a massive part. Yeah, massive part. I mean, Dave was Dave was kind of good cop. You know, he was the one that he was. Dave was everyone's mate, if you like. Um, H was a little bit sterner, but I mean, Huey's Huey's almost like a second dad to me. You know, I speak to I speak to H that much. Um, and Steve was always the one that you were desperate to impress you were desperate to impress Steve. And he, I, w- I don't want to say he ruled with fear because he didn't, but you didn't want to give the ball away or you didn't want to have a, a touch that was that was bad when Steve was around because you were so desperate to impress him. Um, and, I, and I always remember when I went back to the academy and I was I was uh, working at the academy only probably about six years ago and there was myself, there was Michael Yates, there was Phil Charnock, and obviously you'll know, you'll know Charnock from playing for the first team as well. Um, And Steve put on a coaching session for the under-14s and he wanted a few coaches to join in. So myself, Yatesy and all joined in and I was 37 at the time. And during that coaching session, when Steve said well done to me, it was as though I was 12 again. It was that important to get a well done off Steve Highway because he'd been there as the one constant throughout our journey from nine years old to trying to get to the first team. So when he said well done, even at 37, I remember saying to Chano and Charno said, I know what you're going to say. And, you know, we, we both nodded out and it's unbelievable really that he still had that effect on us, you know, so so, so later on in life.
1: He's incredible, on? wasn't he, Steve way You know, and he was so well respected and and so well feared. You know, like you look at, at at the players who were there at the time and everybody spoke so highly of him, didn't he? He was an amazing coach.
2: Yeah, amazing coach and an amazing person as well. And, um, you know the standards the standards that he set right the way through. you speak to any boy that has been in his presence for you know a few years in that youth setup and every single person still, whether Steve released him or whether he designed on on good contracts or whatever, everybody still has unbelievable respect for Steve yeah.
3: go on Pete. Uh, well, I was gonna ask more or less the same question because I was gonna say with no disrespect to the other two coaches, you look at Steve Highway and he's still so. We still sing about him on the cop, don't we? You know what I mean? He's he's that type of player. But I was gonna say, at what age did you sort of make the step up, John, to, you know, prior to just going in the youth team, At what age was it when you were, you know, the obviously it, it must be tough as a kid growing up because along the way they lose they lose quite a few kids, don't they? They you know, they obviously keep the, the cream. So at what age was it when you started sort of getting into that sort of squad that played in the youth cup final? You, you you can you sign schoolboy or
2: you can sign schoolboy forms on your fourteenth birthday or you could sorry back then, so I signed schoolboy forms and that kind of ties you in then until until basically the end of your your GCSE year at school you know whether you're going to be offered scholarship and and that kind of thing. No, I, I remember going through a year probably under 15 where I really struggled everyone else had grown and I hadn't really grown and I found it really really tough I then started going through a little growth period and I became really flat-footed so I went from being unbelievably quick which was my biggest strength and all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't run I was running in treacle because I was going through this this period of growth so under 15 I really struggled um, but then I got into under sixteen, and I got through that, and and everything just kind of seemed to, to click in place. And then obviously the you know the youth cup squad came the year after. But um, yeah, probably only for me, you know, only from probably under sixteen that I start to think, you know, what I, I I've got a chance of you know getting a scholar or getting a YTS back in those days it was called. So yeah, probably probably under about fifteen, under sixteen for me.
0: John, was the YTS back then just the same?
2: As like anybody
0: else was on YTS, where it was like about twenty three fifty a week, but you ju- you were just doing it, what everybody else would love to do and playing football as your sort of employment on the YTS game, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I think I I think the I mean I I never signed a YTS. I was offered a YTS, but my mum was a teacher and she was massive on education, and she won. The, <laughs> my dad was desperate for me to sign a YTS. She, my mum won the battle, so. <laughs> I stayed at school for two years and did my A-levels and carried on training twice a week at night, and I used to get one day off school to go in. But, yeah, the YTS, from from what I remember, the lads talking about the YTS was about 40, £43 pound a week, I think we got, something like that. Right.
0: Because when I was younger, like, I first left school, I don't know, but I'm, I'm a lot older than you. But, but like, even then, it was around about 23 50 a week, YTS. And to think that, you know, at the time that there was people... Like you were lucky enough to be able to, you know, to do that playing football. It's just a little bit, you know, mind blowing, really. Where where we were like on on schemes and all sorts of things like that. So 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 when you left when you left sort of college then or, or sixth form or whatever it was yes. at school, did you get then offered an apprenticeship or something at Liverpool?
2: So I got offered uh, a YTS, uh, but I turned that down, and then. During those youth cup years, right at the end of the, the second, uh, so I, I another two years. So I, on my 18th birthday, I was I was offered a pro, which I, I signed. But then obviously I didn't take that pro up until I left school about six months later, because I was uh, my birthday was in the November. So in the following May, my professional contract started. Yeah. So how
0: how long was that for, John? Would that be like? First a year one was for- a year.
2: First one was a year, yeah. You signed a year, you signed a year. Uh nowadays a lot of boys when they're offered YTSs, actually get offered a pro with it. So they get they get offered uh a, what they call a two and a one. So a two year scholar, one year pro. But back then you were offered what you got a one year pro and you had to make sure every year that you were you were doing the business, otherwise you were you, you know, you were out the door. It's a so, very
1: competitive it's a very, very competitive feel, actually, isn't it? Really, you know, to make it as a professional footballer. Oh, yeah. You know, you're in competition with so many young lads around you at the same, and you're all fighting for the same thing, do not you, to stay for the, next, for the next year?
2: Yeah, partic- particularly in a city like Liverpool. You know, obviously other cities may be different, but for me, Liverpool is a city that lives and breathes football, so every kid wanted to be good at football. So when you when, when you were a YTS or you were a first-year pro whatever, I always thought, in cities like Liverpool and cities like Manchester, you were you were really up against it because you had almost the best of the best. Because everybody in those in those days and everyone in those cities wanted to be a footballer. Did so? Uh,
0: so, how did your date and routine change then, John? From the time you sort of signed your first sort of proper contact with the club, were you were you then training full time, and what was like your daily routine like then?
2: Yeah. So between sixteen and eighteen. My routine was, I went to I went to college, went to school, and then on a Monday and a Thursday, I trained with the under 16. So I was training down, and then, then I'd get a Wednesday off school and I'd go in and train with the YTS lads. Once assigned professional, that was it. You're in Monday uh, Monday to Friday. You're training all week. There's no, there was no college. Like When the boys were YTS, they would, they would go to college one day a week on a Thursday. Um, but yeah, you were in. You was you signed pro. You were in nine o'clock doing your jobs or whatever, doing a few little jobs, and then um, you trade You start training at half ten. You train till about twelve, half twelve. You'd have a bit of dinner, and then normally the young pros would go back out in the afternoon and you train again in the afternoon. Wow did you Did you have to clean any of the first team players' boots at that point? No, because all the YTS lads did it. So. Once you were a once you were a pro, you kind of came off those jobs. I mean, don't get me wrong. If Ronnie Moran soiled in the corridor and you were a young pro, and you were at a loose end, Ronnie had uh, Ronnie find you something to do. Trust me.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, what was the worst job he give you to do then, John? Well, he never gave it me to do, but a few of the lads had to clean the toilets. Right, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, so, you know, yes. you were getting your forty three pound fifty a week, but you were cleaning the toilets at the same time. God, I don't know. So so when did you make your
0: first representative appearance for a proper Liverpool side then once you were there? Was it the A and B team then, or was it then under-17s, under-18s, or what was it
2: back yeah, So, so a, and, a and B team. So I remember at the time I was playing, when I was in the under-16s, or when you were in the under-16s, your goal was always to try and get in the B team when you were still in your under-16 year. So I remember the first time I got the call up to play for the B team Um, we were playing Blackpool away and I remember being, getting the news on the fri- on the Friday, I think H or, or Steve rang me up and I couldn't sleep. I was only going to play for the B team the following day um, and it was only to give me a taste of it really because I've been doing really well in the 16. So I think we lost, we actually lost the game 4-1 at Blackpool, um, at Squires Gate and um I remember Dave Shannon was the manager of the B team, and um, yeah, the few, the, a few of the lads got it after the game because obviously we've gone to Blackpool, we've got beats, and I came on for about the last twenty minutes, but it was a really good experience, and it just gives you that feeling of wanting a little bit more. So yeah, it was it was the B team, and then obviously you try and make the step up into the A team and, and, and the resies. Who was in that team with you, John? Was
0: there anybody
2: of that, that we that
0: the listeners should know about, or was um, it? Just...
2: You know, Boys from the youth cup team, yeah. Uh, you know, Stewie Quinn, Lee Pryor, um, Philly Brazier, they were all playing for the they were like regulars in the B team at the time because they were all first year or they were all what would they being at the time first year YTSs, so they were regulars in the B team, yeah. So, so
0: when did you come across, you know, the likes of Karen and Michael and Stevie and
2: people like that, David Tomo? Um, so David Tomo, you come across him as soon as you saw him because Tomo was summer was that kind of character. You know what I mean? He was always up to something. Uh Karen and Michael were a little bit different because Karen and Michael were different because they were away at the national school. So they were away at Lil So you didn't see an awful lot of Karen and Michael at the time. Stephen obviously, right from when I was nine, or well, I remember I think the first time Stephen came in, I'd have been
1: 10, he'd have been nine. So, that we just lost the yeah.
2: connection. Right. Yeah. Stephen yeah. was with us all the way through.
3: Has mine gone off there, Les? You ran off for to... a second,
1: John. Yeah, yeah.
3: Back on now. Go on. I don't
2: know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so so, 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 so Stephen was with us right from the start, really. So we we all kind of came through together. Uh, but Karen and Michael were were later on because they were away at the national school a lot. So your first impression of, if you
0: thought David Thomas was a little bit of a, always up to something, your first impression of Cara must have left, left you sort of thinking, as Cara said about Lilla, surely he had an reputation there.
2: Yeah, Cara was. But the thing with Cara was, he absolutely lived and breathed football. I mean, it is knowledge, by the way, back then, you know, if you, you're messing about in the change room or whatever, and someone was throwing like questions about football, would know everything, knew every league inside out, knew every player inside out. His knowledge, even back then, it's like a sixteen, seventeen year you old know, was frightening. Yeah, you surprised you're surprised he never went
1: into management job, Cara.
2: Um Maybe a little bit, yeah. It, not so much money. I think I think Cara'd have had been a really good coach, a really really good coach. Um, whether it's whether it's, I don't know whether his temperament would have handled it, I don't know. Um, but his not his knowledge of the game was was very very good, and obviously you know he, he displays that now on, on the television, whatever. But uh, it's probably an easier life, isn't it, doing it on the telly than it is doing it in the dugout? So maybe maybe that tells you the yeah. maybe that tells you why. Yeah.
1: Go and peace.
3: No, it's
1: okay. Just carry on, it's okay. No. So, um, I know. I so when did you get to the youth cup? When did did you have an easy ride to the youth cup? Well, it, it,
2: it it was a strange one, really, because the first two rounds of the youth cup in '96, I didn't play any part. I wasn't even a wasn't involved in the squad at all. There was three forwards at the time: Michael Johnson, Mick Moore, and David Lama and all three of them got injured. They all got injured in the first two rounds, so. After that, I'd been doing really well for, for the B team. Um, and we were playing Sheffield United at Anfield and I only got, I only got told on the Thursday that I was going to play. Um, and I remember Steve Highway saying, you're going to play with Michael. Uh, and he got Michael back from Illshore just for that weekend to come and play in the game. Um, so, yeah, we beat, we beat Sheffield United 3-2 at Anfield and scored my first goal at Anfield, which was, you know, for, for somebody who followed the club all over the country, was, you know, just, even the feeling of scoring in... In the youth cup for it for the youth team, as long as you were doing it in Anfield was was unbelievable for me. But after that game against Sheffield United, me and Michael played played every game, I think, other than the first leg of the final when Michael was away with England. Who
3: did, did, did we scored? play like, Go- you, did Say, you say you that again, in, Pete. In the first leg of the final, you scored the first goal, didn't
2: you? Yeah, I scored against scored West, West Ham at Mar- Upton Park, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in the, in the so final,
3: would, yeah. Would you be up against Was Ferdinand in the back four then, or was he more? Yeah, of a so good they team? had a, they
2: had a good team. Ferdinand was centre half. Lampard yeah. was in midfield. Uh, they had a couple of good forwards who were really highly thought of as well. So it was a it was a proper game that way, like, yeah.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say I had to look through the names, and and they're the only two that really spring out. So I think Glenn Hodges might have played for them as well. Glenn yeah, Hodges. I think he
2: did. Yeah, yeah, and um, I think the keeper the keeper went on to play. Uh, a few hundred games I think uh, for Luton I think it may have been yeah.
3: Um,
2: but yeah there were some good players in that, in that game yeah we they
3: always had a good academy well I say academy but they always had a good youth set up at West Ham didn't they?
2: yeah they did Tony, I think Tony Carr was in charge of them and he, he, he's another one who's renowned like Steve Aiway for bringing a lot of youth players through yeah yeah John I, I,
0: in, that, in that first leg at West Ham we, we won the game 2-0 didn't we and there was over there was over 15,000 at that game. Was that the biggest crowd that you and any of the lads had ever played in front? And how big of a, a buzz was it to not only to have the have play in front of 15,000, but the game was live on TV as well, if I remember rightly, because I, I can remember watching this. So how, how much was that a buzz? And did it make us all more nervous in the build-up to the game and stuff?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I remember staying at hotel. We, we went down the day before. We stayed in a hotel um, – I remember coming down for like the team meeting a few hours before we were going to the ground and there was a lot of nerves. Um, But the first team were playing, I think it might have been Arsenal the day after in London. So I remember being in the changing room and Roy Evans and Doug Livermore come in and we weren't expecting anyone from the first team to come in, but they'd obviously travelled down that afternoon. Um, So they came in and had a chat with us uh, before the game and it was nothing, there was no like big instructions. It was, listen, good luck, work hard, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the crowd, I remember the atmosphere being really good at the time, yeah, it was, it was, it was massive, you you were kind of, because you, you'd never experienced before, you kind of got through it on adrenaline almost, lad Yeah,
0: and then obviously the second leg at Anfield, there was over 20,000 at Anfield for the second leg, so you being a big red, playing in front of 20,000 people at Anfield, and that, I think I was at the game and the cop was pretty packed you know, that must have been some experience, for not just for you, but for the rest of the young lads as well. And I think, I think it seen Michael play. Didn't we beat Manchester United in the semi-final? My, Michael scored the hat trick or something. We so
2: quarter final, yes. Yeah. So brought- we played Crystal Palace in the semi-final over two legs, yeah. And we played United at Anfield in the quarter final, and they, yeah. I think their centre half parent at the time was John Curtis and Ronnie Wallwork. So obviously, two lads that went on and had really good careers, and. We were getting beat 2-0 with about 15 minutes left. Um, Michael scored a hat-trick. And the second goal, he scored a hat-trick get a cop. And the second goal, he, I mean, he'd never get away with it. Now, he jumped in two foot on the keeper. The keeper already had the ball, jumped in two foot, knocked the keeper into the But that was Michael. If Michael was going to score a goal, Michael was going to score a goal. He, <laughs> he, he was that, He honestly, he was that single-minded in... It was almost like at times I liken him to, you know, when you're at school and the best kid in the playground says, yeah, I'll give us the ball, I'll go and score. At times, Michael was like that in the youth team.
3: Yeah. So we've got names for then John, in school. he wouldn't
1: pass?
3: <laughs> 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 so going back to
0: the final then, John, what was it like, you know, to, to you know, especially for, you know, for a died in the wool red like you who still goes the game now, you know, with, with your lad, Josh. What was, it, what was it like then to sort of walk out to an Anfield to a pack cop and to, to actually lift? the And it was the Youth Cup for the first ever time in our mm. history, don't forget. So that yeah. must make you feel, you know, that you, you're you part of history in a way, and all those lads were, who were part of that, that team and squad.
1: Yeah. Uh, as because you've like i say
2: because or like you say because you've been a supporter it, it's all at times it's almost it was almost surreal it's like you're playing on Anfield but most weeks i'm i'm sat 50 rows back there you know watching and singing and whatever so yeah it, the experience i mean it's something i suppose it's f- for the for the big players who go on and play 500 games i suppose you become almost like immune to it but Yeah, it's even for with twenty thousand at Anfield. It's you know when you're wearing that shirt and you've got that badge on your chest. You know, I know it's a cliche, but it's yeah, it is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and then so so
0: following that, you then obviously your aim then is to try and force your way into the into the first team or to get involved in the first team squad. Um, So did your your routine change at all? Were, were you based in Kirby at that point?
2: Or no, was Kirby just- wasn't Kirby wasn't open. Kirby wasn't open. So my first year as a pro, uh, we were all based at, at Melwood. So, but but you'd split into groups. You'd have a first team squad, and you'd have a, a reserve squad, and then you'd have like a, the 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 YTS. So as first year pros at the time, we train with Sammy Lee. So Sammy would take us, um, and you were away from the first team unless Roy Evans called for you and wanted wanted you involved in that. But I'll be dead honest with you, my first year I struggled. I found that I found the the, the move from full time education into full time football and trying to train alongside world class players at the time. I found it really, really tough. So it took me at least till after Christmas to, to even find my feet. Uh, but remember, I only had a one year contract. So I've kind of like, I've struggled the first five months. We're into January now. My contract runs out in May. So the first year was tough.
1: Do a lot of boys find that uh, John, or is it, ju- is it just like, is it just difficult for? Was it just difficult for
2: you? I think it. I think it was more difficult for me at the time, but only because Tom, I, I hadn't done the YTS. So the other boys had been obviously at Melwood for two years full time. Yeah. So they kind of they had kind of adjusted by the time they got to uh, all the ones that were offered, um, you know, professional contracts. But I found it a little bit more difficult because I hadn't had that two year spell as a YT. So do you
0: remember, John, the first time you were sort of asked to go and join in with the first team? And how did you feel? And were you were you nervous or had you sort of settled by then and just looked at them more as other footballers rather than like I would? I'd be stood there just looking up and saying, Wow, there's so and so, there's so and so, and the whole thing had
2: just passed me by. No, I was still ne- I was still nervous in the first year once once I got into the next year or what uh, and found my feet a little bit once. Gerard Hullier come in I was still nervous but the, the big thing was the pace of the game and what I don't just mean the pace of the game in terms of it was fast it was, but when the ball was played into you straight away you'd be, you'd be closed down you'd be pressed. whereas in youth football you, you know what I mean you had that little you had that extra yard but once it's in the first team if your touch isn't bang on you know you're losing possession of the ball and then once you lose possession of the ball in a first team environment the first team are on you because it's like I've got to go and get the ball back now so you know, first team players, whatever level you're playing at, don't like losing the ball.
0: Was the any of the first team players, you know, particularly good in helping you along, helping you settle, or were they just sort of, you know, you had to sort of win them over, so to speak?
2: Yeah, you had to win them over. You had to gain their trust. If you didn't gain their trust, you know, not not that they wouldn't bother with you, but good players recognise good players that's just the way football is it's a ruthless business so if you're not a good player the first team lads you know they they're not that fussed with you and it's the same it's the same at any club and as a as a footballer I've got no issue with that no problem with that they they're there trying to do their job to the best of their ability and if someone comes in and isn't quite their level then yeah it, it can be tough yeah
3: don you you're at liverpool until about 2001, but in, in that period, you went out on a, a few loans, didn't you? Did that sort of toughen you up, going to the lower leagues, where, you know, they, the usual thing they say is you, you come up against uh big centre-arse who like to kick lumps out of kids? So I, I'm assuming that education toughened you up when you went to the likes of Crew and Sheffield United? like. No, it did, it did help. But
2: the big thing was, in those days, before I even went to those clubs... You had the reserve league, it's very, very different now. The under-23s league or the under-21s league now, there aren't obviously many of the old pros playing. But back then, when you're playing Newcastle and when you're playing Leeds and you're coming up against David Weatherall, who's at Leeds, and Steve Howie's playing for Newcastle in the reses and stuff like that. So you're playing against really, really good players in the reserves back then, whereas it's a little bit different now. It's it's all the young pros are playing. Back then, the reserve league was really, really tough. And yet, at times in the reserves, the, the first-team players, if you like, or the big heads, as Ronnie Moran had called them, they could go through through the motions and play in third gear at times in the reserves, but you were always up against tough players. So you kind of got kicked in the reserves before you'd even got to your loan spells, if that makes sense, Pete.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had what's it called as well At that stage John Didn't you Knowing the reserve games You'd have players Who were first team players Who were coming back from injury yeah, who turn yeah. up and, and play for the reserves games Because used to we watched, he used to watch Some of the reserve games And they were, were good games With a lot of really good players I remember Watching Danny Pacheco One time playing And we had a, a really young side And I can't remember I think we played playing Aston Villa And they had like they had about four or five or six first-team players. And, you know, like, but what an experience for young players. Does that does that help you when you're playing them type of players?
2: Yeah, massively, massively. Um, you know, you learn loads from playing against them. And I mean, there were times in it, when I was in the early days in the reserves where you're playing with really good players in your own team. Um, but I think you often got more out of playing against them. It, you know, it was it, it was tougher. I remember playing against, I don't know if you fellas will remember him, a, a Leeds centre-half. He was an absolute giant man mountain called Robert Molinar. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember he, him. He, he, he was absolutely ginormous. And we played Leeds at the Shea, at Halifax. Leeds Reserves were playing at Halifax's ground at the time. Um, and we won 1-0 uh, on the night. I remember scoring a goal, but he was an he was a giant and you would have. I was having to play a totally different way because if I moved, he kicked me. It was that simple, and he, he kept saying to me, "Don't you start running in the channels?" Because he just didn't want to chase this young lad who was willing to run and chase lost causes. He said, "If you move, I'll kick you." So I moved a bit quicker because I didn't want to get kicked by him. And that was that, that was the way you learn.
1: <laughs> what an experience! Yeah, they, they, they would do
2: honestly the reserves was 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 brilliant. Uh I suppose now for youth players, not for young players now, their reserves is like Pete says, their reserves is going out on loan because they don't find themselves playing against, you know, the old pros like like we did back then playing in the reserves. Yeah. So do you remember much about your, your Premier League debut, John? You
0: come on, didn't you, against Middlesbrough, um, as a substitute for Vladimir Smitson, I believe.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, was, I remember playing against Hull a little bit earlier. So I'd already played. So I'd made my debut anyway against Hull. So that probably helped me a little bit. Um, but yeah, at the time we had a few injuries. I think, I think Michael might have been out. I think uh, Eric and, and Emile might have played up front on a day. Um and then the game finished nil-nil. But I always remember Julia telling me to get ready. I remember the wa- I remember the warm-up really, really vividly because uh I used to get on really well with Steve Stone and. And during the warm-up, I was a sub and Stan was a was a sub as well. Um, and obviously the the the, start and the level elever would go and do their own little warm-up and then the subs would do whatever they were doing. And I remember Stan didn't say a word to me, but for five, ten minutes, he was absolutely smashing passes in at me. And it was not okay, it was just listen, you this is what it's gonna be like when you go on. So we're gonna we're gonna go through a proper warm-up and we're gonna get you ready, and you know your touch better be ready, this is a big crowd, and he never said anything to me, but I knew that that's exactly what he was doing. Um, but yeah, I remember standing on such time waiting to come on, I remember looking up at the cop, because obviously, you know, that's where I am most weeks, and, you know, I remember thinking, it, you know, whatever happens, it is a dream, you, you know, you're a Liverpool fan, and you're about to play in the Premier League for, for Liverpool, so, um, yeah, obviously your dream of going on and scoring a goal or whatever, but, and I'd, I'd have loved to have done that, but I can, you know, I can always say, and I, you know, Josh often says to me, you know, I can't believe you've you've actually played in the first team.
1: You know what I always think, John, when you when you just say, does it go back? Does it go over very quick when you're playing the game, or is it or, or is it slow, or or you know, like yeah. does it fly
2: yeah. by the whole period? Yeah, it absolutely flies by. But I, I, still, to this day, I think I in I think in the game, I think I was on for a, maybe 16 minutes, something like that. And we ended up going, I remember at the, at the end of the game, i had a go at Cara because Cara was playing right back and I went on as the right midfielder. And Cara kept going long. He kept going long a lot because I think I think Eric might have been on and he was he was thinking maybe, you know, Eric can get a little knockdown or whatever. And Cara, uh, Gerard, Julia in the game afterwards said, Cara, you're playing too long. And uh, so I only touched the ball six times but I can remember every touch. Mm-hmm. I can remember every touch. Yeah,
1: every
2: oh, touch. I remember, I remember my first touch. In, in playing inside the pitch and and playing a left footed pastor, Didi man, I remember everything. Yeah,
0: yeah, but you, you mentioned Hull there. You you did make a goal for Carline Friedler, I think against against Hull, didn't you? In the in the league, yeah, up, up for, yeah so last minute, yeah.
2: As well. Yeah, I remember Tomo Tomo played me in down the right, and I got to the byline and just uh, stood one up at the back post, and he didn't miss many with his head, did he, Carlines? So let's be honest. Wow. Um, so, yeah, great great memories, you know, to, to, to have a, a, a part, you know, like having an assist or a goal for the first team is brilliant. So, yeah, it's uh, really good memories.
0: I say, wanna, I want to sort of thank you a little bit now, John, because during that time, you were also helping coaching the supporters club team that we had from the Merseyside branch and used to turn up for, um, for every training session that we used to have on a on a Tuesday and you become joint manager with myself. And now not, not a lot of the lads might have ever sort of mentioned this to you because you just blended in with just one of the lads, but they so much appreciated your input and they, they so respected you because, you know, you were coming from, you know, Liverpool at the academy. And you when I look back at those days and we used to play on Botanic Park, there's a lot of people used to watch us play. And and they used to think that a lot of because we had, our team was playing open age football and a lot of our players were like between the ages of sixteen and twenty. We had a few older ones, but they used to say that we come to the academy. And I think a lot of the credit for that goes to, to you and your dad. Your dad come down as well, and you know by showing them what to do in the training sessions. So did you enjoy doing that as well?
2: Yeah, because I was just football mad. You know, if, if anyone had asked me, obviously I wanted to, to go and watch my brother play. But, you know, just to be, just to be involved and, and involved in football in any way was was great for me. So uh, those days, you know, you look back on with a lot of fondness. But I remember playing in a game. I remember playing in a game. So I'll tell you the story on that one, right? So <laughs> my first year as a pro, at the end of my first year as a pro at Liverpool, the academy was being built, so the the young pros at YTS had really had nowhere to train. So it was the season that pre season that Gerard Houllier came in as joint manager. So Gerard Houllier and Roy Evans had made the decision right. We're just having the first team lads. We're not having anyone else at Melwood. So obviously to let you know Gerard Houllier assess his squad or whatever. So we went and trained at Mather Avenue Playing Fields uh, near Egbeth. So. We were away from Mel. We weren't involved with the first team at, at all. And at the time, youth football had changed. So there was no A and B team being scrapped. So it was under 17s, or it might have been under 18s, under 19s, under 17s and 19s, I think it might be. But there was me, there was Tommy Culshaw, and there was Danny Williams, and we were all too old. We couldn't play for any of the teams at the academy or at the, whatever it was called then. So we had no games. So we'd train all week. Hulia didn't want us in the reserves at the time, we'd train all week, we wouldn't have a game, so on a Friday, the lads that were playing in the 17s and 19s would do a bit of team shape, and he'd finish about 12 o'clock, and you, McCauley would keep us three back, and we'd just run on a Friday afternoon, it was like, six weeks here, I've not had a game. You know, I know I'm a, I'm a professional at Liverpool, I've not had a game. So I remember turning up on a Sunday to your game and I pestered you and I pestered you and I said, Let's just throw us on there. And you were like, I can't put you on. So you're a professional at Liverpool. I said, Let's no one no, no, no one knows away. I'm just put me on. I remember going on for 20 minutes at the end of the game. Yeah. And I'm saying to your dad, Jim, you've got to stop him. You can't let him go <laughs>
0: on. Cause I said, if he gets in, you are there. I said, I'll have Brian all. Oh, I'd have got the
2: and I'd have got the sack. Yeah, I my mean, contract had been ripped up. I know I, that. But yeah, said, at the time you're not thinking, you just want a game of football.
0: Yeah. And I
2: and every time you touched the ball and anybody went near
0: you. Know, I turning and I was saying away, and I was so glad when that final whistle went and uh, you walked off it all in one piece. I thought, I just hope no one ever finds out. And
2: uh, listen, I enjoyed myself. I scored the goal, I think. I was yeah. made up.
0: Yeah, you were. I just showed you as well how, how sort of streets ahead you were of everybody else as well. We thought, like, some of the lads were good until they seen you playing in that in that same team for 15, 20 minutes at the end. Your dad kept saying to me on the line, he said, kept saying to me, Les, what have you let him go on for? And I said, how could I? You're this dad. Why didn't you stop him? He says, you're the plumber manager. <laughs> I said, but he's joint manager, so you should have dragged him off. <laughs> you know was we like. got away with it. We got away yeah. with it. Yeah, but well, no thanks for that, John. It was a, it was an unbelievable two years we had, um, and if you remember, it culminated with the with the lads playing a game
2: at Anfield. Yeah, yeah, man, lost, a brilliant experience for them. Yeah,
0: we lost one nil, and, and uh, you know that'll that'll live with with us all. You know for mm. forever and a day. So, and then so we'll go back on now to your to your career. How difficult was it to sort of? make the decision to to leave Liverpool as a as a sort of as you know you have said you know you're the die in the red you know you you go every game and all of a sudden was it easier because you were you were looking at it more as a footballer and, and come a little bit detached if you like?
2: Yeah definitely um obviously I'd been to crew as Pete said I'd been to crew I'd been to Sheffield United. The loan spells hadn't really worked out I don't think in the I think I played I started five games for Crew. I started three games for Sheffield United, and I didn't start one game up front in any loan spell. So, I knew that, you know, at the next place that I went to had to be the right the right move for me. And I remember I came back from my loan spell at Sheffield United, and then I was playing in the reserves. And I had a couple of chats with, with Gerard Jared about about my future. And we signed Yali Lippmann, and it's like, okay. At the time, yali wasn't, was, was, was past his, was past his peak, if you like. But probably two years earlier, he'd been one of the most sought after strikers in, in European football and was signing Yari Lippmann. We already had Robbie, Robbie was there, Michael was there, Emil was there. Uh, Vladdy could play up front, Patrick could play up front. So all of a sudden, you're thinking, listen, this is me done. I, you know, I need, I need to go somewhere now. I've got, a, I'm, I'm 21. I need to go and be playing. Um, so it wasn't, when I got I got told, I played for the reserves at Aston Villa, we played uh, at Villa Park, we won 4-2, and I knew that there were a lot of uh, lower league clubs going to watch the game uh, because they knew that I was available, for certainly for the loan spell. Uh, and I did really well in the game. So I knew after the game that there'd be a few uh, that would probably want to take me in, you know, in the lower league. So I remember the following day, uh, Gerard Tule asked to see me. And He said, listen, he said, Barry and Rex both want to take you along immediately. The choice is yours where you want to go. But three weeks earlier, Berry's manager, Andy Priest, had, had given me a give me a ring and said, Listen, we're we're in dire straits. I need I need a forward. I need someone who's quick. I need someone who's gonna run behind. Um so because he'd rung me and I'd already spoke to him and he told me I was gonna play up front, I was all, I was always gonna to go to Berry. So I remember getting back to the changing room because i'd been in with you and, and phil thompson for quite a while there was no one else left everyone had gone and i remember putting me, me me boots and my trainers and my shin pads and everything into a bin bag and just walking out to the car because i was i was going to sign on loan at berry the next day but i wasn't i wasn't emotional less. i wasn't emotional I, I you know i'd been there since I was nine i was now 21 nearly 22 but I wasn't emotional because it, it it was the right time I, i'd probably I'd probably done a year too long at Liverpool, um, so yeah, I, I wasn't emotional because I knew it was it was time to go and you know try and make a career somewhere else.
1: Did you enjoy your stint at Burnley, John?
2: Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Um, when I went on loan there, it was it was brilliant because we tra- it, it was so far away from Liverpool. Tom, I mean, it was a million miles away. You know, you come into you come into Melwood and your kit's laid out, your kits folded up. At the end of the training, you throw it into a basket and the, the laundry man comes and says, t- At Berry, you did your own kit. You carried the goalpost down the road to the training ground as a first team player. That's what you did. And, you know, I've never had any airs and graces about me. I loved it. You know, it was it was totally different. But because I'd been training with these world with these world-class players day in day out I almost felt sharper than the other players that I was playing against you know when I when I went into League One and that that pure for me that purely came from the fact you know I'm training with with Robbie Fowler with Jamie Redknapp with you know with those players every day Patrick Berg, and you couldn't help but get better by training with them so when I went to Berry, I absolutely loved it um and I signed on loan for a month initially, but I did really well in the loan spell. I think I scored four four goals in seven games. And very at the time went on such a bad run. Before I went there, they hadn't won in 14 games. And, and I went there and on my debut within 10 minutes, I could have scored a hat trick. Could have scored a hat-trick. But I eventually scored later on in the game in the second half. But the center half couldn't run. And my biggest thing was I was quick. And from the first minute. I knew that I had him, and he, he knew as well. So the confidence that I gained just from that ten minutes, even though I didn't score the three chances I, I should have scored, was unbelievable. And I, I just kicked on from there at Berry. You had yeah. a couple
3: of goals at Berry, didn't you, John? A bit yeah, later. Yeah, I, I did. Were yeah. So, names, were there any so, names but, that we might remember? Any anyone you played with at Berry that we might know? Come on, yeah, around, So. Maybe. so
2: so Paddy Kenny was Paddy Kenny was our, was right. was goalkeeper at, at, at Barry. Obviously, he went on a, a, had a, a great career. Um, you know, with Sheffield United and QPR and and a few others. So so Paddy was there at the time. He was he was just a young lad. Um, we had uh, Steve Redmond was centre half, who obviously played at City as a scouser. Um, grew up in height, and I think uh, I think Redo. Um, so he was there as well, but there was some there were some good players there. Um, there was also a couple of strikers who were coming to the end of their career, and I, I know you'll know one of them, Adrian Littlejohn, who played in the Premier League for, mm-hmm. for Sheffield United. So there were some good players there, uh, and I learned off them, and and they kind of liked the fact that I was there because I was quick, and they weren't the quickest anymore. So I could do their running for them; they'd win the flick-ons, and you know, in that style of football, and I'd do their running for them. So. It worked really, really well. Um, so in the end, I ended up signing for Berry and I was there for just over two and a half years. I think my first spell. Yeah, oh,
3: this guys,
1: you
3: know, that is just sorry. Go. So, I was going to say, you must have been sad to see the demise of Berry when they eventually folded. Though it was, it's not nice to see any of the lower teams go into the wall. But oh, no, it was, it, smuggled, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, it was a real, real sad one. There, probably the first one that you know that totally, totally went. Um, yeah. You know, I—I I mean, I—I I live in Berry now. Just um, you know, my wife's from Berry. Kids were born in Berry as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a club that's close to my heart. To be fair,
0: right? Was Berry is Berry the club that you that is closest to your heart after Liverpool, is it, Jonathan? Of the clubs you played for after you left us?
2: Yeah, only because it went so well now, there. Particularly in my first spell and. I gained the rapport with the supporters really, really quickly. Like I say, they were in, they were in a mess in terms of league position and league results when I went there. And I think they saw me as kind of like a, a catalyst. I mean, after one game, they were singing my name after one game, uh, because I'd come in and kind of changed, changed the fortunes a little bit. Um, and it just kicked on from there. I, I almost became I almost became one of them on the pitch, if you like. They, they, they I think they saw me as someone who was, you know, I was going to give a hundred percent. You know, I was, I was desperate to succeed, and I just think they liked my style of play. So, the because of the rapport again, game with the supporters there, that that's probably you know the club that I enjoy playing for the most, and, and still look back on with, with the best memories.
1: Les's favourite word is confidence. Getting your confidence back there, John. Must have been a, a, a and when you enjoy, you've got your confidence, you enjoy your football, don't you? Really, and that's yeah, the most it, important thing about playing the game. If you enjoy it, you play better,
2: yeah, I, I, definitely. Um, football's a strange one though for me because you know, when you're playing in the game as a footballer, you're not, you're not enjoying it, you enjoy it afterwards if that makes sense. So, as soon as you come off the pitch you can be satisfied with what you do, done or you can, you think you look back and you think, yeah, do you know what? I enjoyed it. But you know, when you're in the game, all you do, you're so focused on, on what you're doing. And so, yeah, it's, um it's, it's a strange industry at times when you, you know, when you, you, you're viewing sometimes as a fan one minute when you're watching Liverpool, but then when you're playing, you got your, your players head-ons kind of thing. So, yeah, it's difficult. John, so, so what, after after you sort of your second stint at Berry, you,
0: you went to a few more clubs and then eventually decided to hang up your boots. I'd take it at, at during that time, you were you were taking your coaching badges because you eventually didn't you started to coach at the Academy?
2: Yeah, so I took my first coaching badge, I think when I was at Berry the second time. So it would have been about 2006, something like that. Um but i didn't i didn't actually go back to to our academy until 2013 so i went back there as a as a part-time coach um coaching the under nines at the time you know the real babies um but you yeah, had started me coaching badges whilst i was playing like a, like a lot of lads do to be fair
0: yeah and then obviously then you know as a lot as some some most people know some won't you then suffered a, a real life-changing illness so if you'd like to Sort
2: to elaborate on that a bit more, John. Yeah, so I, I I got towards the end of my career, and I was I was playing for. I'd never had any you know any problems or anything during my career. I had operations on knees and Achilles and and that kind of thing, but you know nothing to do with your health. You you know you expect the, the odd operation with 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 those kind of things when you're a player. Um, but yeah, I came to the end of my career and I, and I I signed for Warrington Town, and I was playing for Warrington and. I remember training one night and during training, I was feeling dizzy um, I feel like, you know, like I was going to uh, collapse or faint or whatever. And I remember crouching down and kind of the dizziness passed me or whatever. I didn't mention it to anyone, but I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, you know, you hadn't eaten properly. You were rushing from from the academy. I was rushing to, to, to go and train at Warrington or whatever. Didn't think anything of it. And then I left Warrington and I went and played with my mates for a team called Walshaw, who were in the Manchester Amateur League. I started collapsing on the pitch, Um, so you know the ball would get played over the top or whatever, and I'd I'd run into the channels, and and as I came down from the sprint, I'd collapse, um, you know, and I'd be out cold for a couple of minutes or whatever. And the first time it happened, the lads obviously called an ambulance, um, went into hospital, was wired up to all kinds of machines for eight hours, something like that. But whatever test he did, no one could find anything wrong with me but it kept happening and it kept happening and it kept happening that much that I became flippant about it. It was almost, I remember saying to my wife, you know, all right, I collapse, but I wake up, don't I? And, and that, that was how it, that was how it became, because it, it was becoming so common. And I know you look back on it now and you think, you know, you know, the attitude that I had towards it was, you know, was ridiculous because you don't collapse for no reason. Um, so eventually I was sent to uh, see a specialist in London and he dealt with Fabrice Mwamba um, you know, during his, his cardiac arrest on the pitch at Tottenham. And again, I had tests done and he couldn't find an awful lot, but then he, he put me on a, an exercise bike um, and he kind of um, put an oxygen mask on you and it was, it was a real tough test as to what you were doing but from out of nowhere on the bank my heart spiked to something like 231 beats per minute which obviously is you know is unheard of for a for a healthy person um so I had a couple of scans and eventually the doctor said to me he said listen I don't want to I don't want to scare you but you shouldn't be here you know one of the collapses should have killed you um so eventually I I went in for heart surgery because they thought that they could they thought that they could cure the uh, cure the 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 condition with uh, a fairly routine heart operation called an ablation where they stimulated your heart to different speeds and they burn, they find basically they find the the faulty pathway within your heart and they burn it. Um but during the during the operation, um they found they found what they thought was the fault, they found the fault, but they, they couldn't bring my heart rate back down. So I think my heart rate was something like 240, uh, and he couldn't he couldn't get me out of that. So they had to shock me with the with the defibs um, to to bring my heart to kind of reset my heart. Um, and then a few days later, they they fitted me with a with an internal cardiac defibrillator. Um, so that's that's inside my chest now, it's the same as what um, Christian Eriksen obviously is the the person that we'll all remember in terms of you know having a cardiac arrest on the pitch, so he's he's got a he's got an internal defibrin as well. Oh, was your job? I was when I had that fitted. I was forty yeah. when I first started collapsing. I was thirty six, um, and what the doctors what the doctors think it, it is was that I've trained my heart yeah. to such an extent from from all uh, the running and the and the high intensity sprints that. I've actually damaged my heart. So I've got a condition called exercise induced ARVC. So a lot of people can, um, a lot of people can carry the gene, but it never comes out because they don't train at such a high intensity. So for example, someone else in my family could have the gene, but it doesn't actually come out if they don't exercise it to a certain, uh, certain intensity. But because I exercised at a certain intensity, obviously the symptoms flared up and and that's what it was. So, you know, I understand how lucky I am and how lucky I've been to be here. Um, you know, the defib, when it shocks you, it's not it's, it's not good, it's not pleasant, it knocks you over, it's that powerful. Um, but it saves your life, so... You Has that, that's, that, that's that's that happened to you, John? Has it sort of gone off? Yeah, so it, I haven't had a touch wood. I've not had a shock for... I've not had a shock for about three and a half years. Now... Um, I mean, it, it it acts as a pacemaker every day, and I feel it pace me every day, just like you know a, a normal pacemaker. Uh, which is, you know, it's you feel it, but it's no big deal. Um, but yeah, this, when the shock hits, it's it, it, you know it's it is heavy stuff. Um, I remember the first time I had a shock. I remember looking around because I thought I thought someone had, had hit me over the head with a baseball bat. That was that was my first thought because it knocked me to the floor, and then I'm, I'm, I'm turning around to react to what I, th- or who I thought had just hit me, and it dawns on you, you know, life's changed, this is, this is, this is the new life, um, but you, you cope with it, you know, you're like anyone, you, you're adjusting, you adapt to, to what's going on in your life, and I'll always say, and I'll, I'm not being flippant about it, there's, there's people far worse off than me, you know, that have, that have illnesses, and, and, and cancers, and those kind of things, but you know, I am I'm, I'm almost lucky in a way because I've I've got a deeper bin and I'm safer than most people on the planet, to be honest.
0: I remember um I can remember hearing about it, and the first thing I did was message you on a uh, on messenger, because as I say, I was so I was so shocked I couldn't believe it because as you know, as we discussed earlier, I'd spent a lot of time with you, you know, twice, three times a week sometimes, and I knew how fit you were. And you have been this professional footballer for a number of years you were still sort of you know in your late 30s what have you and I thought this can't be right. I thought it was I thought it was wrong. And like and like I was I was so I was so shocked and so so thankful that you'd you know that they've basically sorted you and you were you know you were here to sort of you know chat again and just be just be yourself basically you know even though you have got this condition the main thing is that they've 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 sort of Got, you on know, medication and what have you so you're, you're still able to live you know the best life you can basically
2: yeah I, I live a really I live a really normal life um you know like I say I, I'm, I'm I'm still able to work in the game full time and um I have the odd game of football charity football now uh my wife goes mad when I play but you know you, you can't sit around doing nothing so so yeah I, I, I still I still go and play football now and again and you know it's just it's just a little change in your life that you you have to cope with and you know I'd rather it happen to me than 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 to one of the kids or or to my wife or whatever so you know you, you learn you learn to deal with it and you learn to live with it
3: yeah i think yeah, i think as a kid john like i i go back to 1966 i remember the world cup as a, as a kid and that's what got me into football and i'm like 64 this year and i can't give the game up yeah. I, it's like a drug to me i always right. say to people it's my cigarettes or it's my alcohol. I just love going to match, and it it must be so difficult for people if they have to give up. And you're still involved in the game now, aren't you?
2: Yeah, I I I, I don't know how I'd give football up. Like I said, mm. I said earlier, you, you you live and breathe football. I mean, even me going to the match now, particularly when we're you know when we're we're trying to win the league, or I don't enjoy going to the match. If that makes sense. I love being there. love the atmosphere. I only enjoy the aftermath. I enjoy if we've won or if things have gone out well. But during the match, I'm a nightmare to be around. Absolutely nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that season was it 2013, 2014, where we nearly It it was it was unbearable at times. Absolutely unbearable. I remember watching the Norwich match here. And uh ah, yeah, it was unbearable, absolutely unbearable at times. So yeah, I, 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 am totally with you there, Pete. Football to me is is a drug. Um, it was kind of what it was. Football for me was, the, particularly when I was playing, was the glue that kind of um, yeah. helped stick me together. I, I, I really struggled once 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 you've been in football for a certain amount of time, whether it's as a supporter, whether it's as a player, a coach, manager, whatever it is. If you're, as, if you're as into it as as what some people are, I think it's really, really difficult to, to live without. And that's why I carried on playing for as long as I did, even at an amateur level, because it, for me, it wasn't a case of... I know you hear people say about they missed the dressing room and they missed the, the camaraderie in the dressing room. And don't get me wrong, I've been in some great dressing rooms, but I couldn't give it up because I couldn't give up playing. I just loved... I, I missed playing too much. You know, the, the, the idea of competing against people every week, moaning at people... Know, moaning at a referee because he's not giving a decision, or someone's trying to, you know, a center half kicking you and calling you all kinds, and you're giving him a bit of stick back when you score. I, I you know, I, I struggled not to have that in my life.
3: Did you moan at your joint manager alongside you there. Did you moan at Lesbos?
2: He, 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 he was always moaning at me. I was the quiet one. <laughs>
1: he hasn't changed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He hasn't changed much, John. John, <laughs>
0: just, just moving on now to the current team, just something you, you touched on before when you you know when you were saying it's time to leave, and it, it just dawned on me thinking about the current team where you know all all Liverpool fans who who've never played the game like you have. So you can you can have your foot in, in both camps really. And the the they're going on about at the minute, you know, oh we need another midfielder to come in. And I think we do, by the way, but but then on the other hand, you're thinking, well, we've got so many midfielders here. How does it feel as a player when the like Liverpool have now signed McAllister and Subasic, and they're being linked with Labia? How would that affect, say, the current players who are there? Because every, all the fans get excited, but then they don't think of like the players who then aren't selected in a matchday squad. So how do
2: How do players cope with things like that? I think at the very top level, it's a mentality thing. Um, You know, for the midfielders that are already there now, they're mentally so strong in terms of competition and, and people coming in trying to take their place. I think it might be a little bit different for the likes of myself, who might be playing in League One and League Two, where someone comes in for a... Two hundred thousand pound transfer fee, and you're thinking, well, I know for a fact he's got to play. The club aren't going to spend that much money on a striker because they haven't got that much money to spend. But I think with the players at the top, the mentality is and the confidence and the mental strength and the mental belief in themselves is what sets them apart from everyone else. So I think for the players that are there, you know, your Hendersons, your Fabinhos, I don't think they'll be overly worried about the people that are coming in because they back themselves so much. to be successful, and, and they have been over the years.
3: It's what...
1: fascinating when you say that. When, when you say that, John, is there? You, you're looking at the, the other young players coming to the likes of Curtis and the likes of Pichetti, uh, of and you, you see them two players, and and the way they're playing at the moment, especially I was watching Curtis Jones playing for the under-21s, and he's oozing confidence. And I was thinking to myself last night... That you're not going to shake him out of the team when he comes back. He, this is like, it looks like a lad who, like, at the moment, has waited a long time to get where he is. And now he's here. He's playing with confidence. He's playing with, 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 with skill, straight levels of skill. And all of a sudden, he, he's not going to be bothered about who they've brought in, is he, really? He's not. He's going to be fighting for his place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, his, his form at the end of the season was outstanding. You know, the goals that he scored. and um, But he's, he's, he's got unbelievable ability, Curtis Jones. Um, certainly the ability to play at the top, top level, without doubt. So I, I just think as a club, it puts us in a real good place at the minute because competition for places is massive. That's how teams over the years, the top teams, you know, when Man United were going through their, their, their glory years, if you like, that's how they were so successful because they always had people waiting to come in who were as good as the people who were playing in the first place. And I think it puts us in a really, really strong position with, with the, the players that we've we've signed this summer. Are you optimistic for the coming season, John? And do you think, would you be happy
0: to go on with the squad we've got or do you think we need a, one or two more just to sort of, you know, make us a little bit, little bit extra competitive after what happened last season?
2: I'm really excited about the two signings that we made. Um, obviously, I don't know too much about um, the Hungarian player, but in terms of the clips and the footage that you see, you know, the videos, he looks like he's got some sensational attributes. Um, so he, he really excites me, and he's a player that the Premier League hasn't seen, so he can kind of come in and uh, as a little bit of an unknown. McAllister's another one. He's a proven winner. He's just won the World Cup. He knows the league inside out. Um, from the this, this, the interviews and everything you see with him, he seems a really humble, a humble person who, who looks like he's he's willing to fight for. Uh, you know, I, I like the I like the South South American mentality. You know, that they always come across as fighters. You know, you look at Suarez and that what he was like when he was at the club. So I think the two signings that we made uh, look look really really good for us. Um, I've never been one who, as a, as a supporter, I always look at it as. This is this is what we've got. I'm never looking really for the next signing. This is what we've got. Let us see let's see how we do kind of thing. Um, but I've got no I've got no doubt that um, the manager and this set of players that are currently in won't be uh, won't be uh, successful next season. I think I think the squad's good. I think there's there's flair all over the pitch. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm excited about it, particularly the two new signings. Yeah, Brilliant. we were talking
1: about the ref, we were talking about it last week. When, all three of us when we were talking about how we felt we, we would do this season. Every one of us is also was also confident going into the season. And I I don't really I don't see anything. I, I, I believe there be a, a, a couple might be one side and I'm not so sure it'd be two. But um I'm I'm really confident going into the season, you know. and I thought I think I think players that misfired last season I think getting Diaz back will make a massive difference. I think Nunes will be a much better player this season. I think I think McAllister will give us so much quality. As you say, So So Bosla has less just informed me earlier. So I think he, I think he'll, he'll he'll hit the ground run. I think Curtis is on fire. I think Trent will come in and out of the position that he'll play. And I, you know, like I. I don't see anything in, in the other sides that I look at and think, oh, God, we're oh going to have to worry about these. You know, I think Liverpool will be really close next season. Right? I, so, I,
2: so, I, see, I see no reason why why we won't be. I mean, you look at Man City and Man City are a little bit different because of what we, they what we can do in the transfer market. But um, I don't think it's always about that. You know, I think the fact that Diaz is going to have a full pre season and Nunes is going to have a full pre season, um, you know, there's goals all over the team, isn't there? Even, even, you know, your fullbacks are, 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 are goal makers, if you like, so there's goals right through the team. Nice one. On that positive
0: note, we'll we'll blow the final whistle on this episode of the LFC Red Poets podcast. I'd like to thank, as always, my co presenters tom and pete and also our special guest john newby for for giving up his time to join join us tonight as i always say when i finish justice for the 97 don't buy the sun and you'll never walk alone and until next time bye for now